Hey everybody, it is Richard Harris and Scott Least with another edition of the Surf and Sales Season 3 podcast. Thanks for joining. As always, we have the events coming up in May and two in November. Uh, we actually still have one slot left for May, so go to surfandsales.com. Uh, if you need help getting it pitched to your leadership, then by all means, let us know. We'll, we'll be glad to jump in and, and help you do that. Uh, we'd love to see folks there. The uh, want to give a shout out to all of our sponsors who are Scratchpad, um, uh, Sendoso, sorry, Sendoso, uh, and Outreach. And Outreach uh, has a special landing page of click.outreach.io forward slash surf. Again, click.outreach.io forward slash surf. Um, tell them Richard and Scott sent you there and, and, you know, they owe you something. I don't know. Maybe they should send you a t-shirt. That's it. Yeah. Get a, get a t-shirt. <laughs> So uh, with that all out of the way, I um, want to introduce someone I've known for a while, haven't talked to in a long time, haven't seen in four years for a lot of reasons. He was just mentioning to me is Errol Toker. Errol is the founder and our CEO of Truly.co. Uh, he also spent a couple of years as a product manager and product specialist over at Google. Uh, so he brings a, a really unique perspective to talking about revenue and sales and those kinds of things. So uh, Errol, uh, and I hope I said that right, um, uh, welcome to the show. And by all means, tell people what Truly does, just so they have some context of what you're doing. Yeah, totally. And thanks for having me over, guys. Like, I just love following your content. So very special to be here. And like you said, Richard, like, good to see you again. Um, so what we do here at Truly is... Uh, our mission is to essentially eliminate manual data entry into CRM completely. Um, and in doing so, um, use the latest technologies um, in AI and other different areas, use that to take the data that we are collecting to transform it and put it in front of everybody inside the company. So sales, customer success, product, to put the information that they need in exactly the right place they need it in the right format. Um, and that's kind of like our, our goal. Talk about this for a second, because this is really cool. And you know, everybody knows we don't do product pitches, but this is very interesting because everybody who listens to this fucking hates typing shit, right? Like there's nothing worse. Right? Including me. Right. So sales is omni-channel right? More so now than ever, right? You have email, you have LinkedIn, you have voice calls, you have Zoom calls, you have text messages, right? And there's always relevant data. So I love the fact that you can get it in the system. How do you then get to the relevant data, right? Like this, this conversation could take, you know, a sales conversation could take 30 minutes, right? Yep. And if you transcribe it, great. Let's put the transcription in the CRM. Yep. Fantastic. But how do you get to the stuff of like, budgets or pricing or the pains that like how do you capture it in a meaningful way yeah uh, how do you get to meaning right? right um so it's an interesting question um i think there's a there's a lot going on behind the scenes but i think the first thing that you have to start off with and that's why i said the goal is like limiting data entry right i totally with, get it with, like i'm not trying with, to put with, on the spot to say no, I no, no. perfection right like i'm just trying to stay where are we in the world because you even mentioned ai right like where are we yep. so we are we are pretty far and that's kind of why i said by limiting data entry to sort of get people that information 
we are really, really far. So inside of our product today, um, what our users tell us is very frequently the notes that we take are better than, uh, and note taking is not the only thing we do. Um, it's, we, we actually have something a lot more sophisticated for like the data ops teams behind the scenes, et cetera. But just on a basis of what you were saying, like if you take a human who writes notes and you put what we're doing side by side, um, I think the last time we measured this about 73% of the time, um, it was equivalent or better than what the person would have done themselves. And so worse would mean like, it doesn't even mean that it's bad. It's just, I had to go and tweak a few things. Um, so we're pretty far. Uh, and I think that the difference in terms of what we're doing today is it's really a search problem. It's like Google where remember when Google first came out, like you just type whatever you want in a box and it was like crazy, right? It's like, where do you go from here? But there's just kind of like endless optimizations you can do. That's kind of our roadmap today. There's like a lot of places where it can get it slightly wrong. Um, and the goal there is to keep making it more configurable and better to meet the needs of different, not just companies, but like people inside those companies, right? So if I'm going and talking to a person um, as a sales rep, it's a very different type of conversation than what I'm having as a CSM. Just the, the entire dynamics of the conversation, the types of information that are coming up in that conversation are going to be different. Yeah, and like, and a really good example is like, if I talk to you in conversation one and you and I have all this context and we go into conversation two and we don't even talk about what just happened there, right? That, that can be really confusing and a problem and there can be a lot of missed signals, et cetera. So we're really far. Um, it works more than we ever dreamed that it could work. Um, and so to us, it just feels like it's very clearly the future. Yeah, I like, I, you know, uh, summarizing is, you know, getting to the, getting the quality data from your quantity data. Right, like that's that feels like what you're trying to do, which I love. So, um, talk talk about like being a founder, right? Like, so what stage are you guys at? You're two two and a quarter years into this company, right? Uh, where are you? Yeah, so you know what's interesting is like our company's kind of had two chapters. You know, the first chapter, and this is really the second chapter of it. Um, where we started was, you know, we got to several million dollars in AR kind of building a business with this idea that, look, data is the future. Like, we know that. Like, all this stuff that's happening in RevOps. How long did it take it, you to get to several million dollars? Yeah, about a, a few years. So, like, about four years or so. Okay. Um, so, talk about the revenue challenges, right? Because I'm sure you were a founder-led sales person, right? Or am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, uh, founder-led sales for sure. I think the bigger problem is just, you know, be coming from a product role, not having ever that's sold before. That's why I'm asking. Like we just spoke to someone the yeah. other day was that, that, what was it, Scott, where there's, you know, we often hear of technical founders. We don't hear about operational founders. And now you're a product-led founder, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to understand, like, what was your growth to understand this sort of revenue place particularly when you come from a big company like Google, right? Where yeah. you have tremendous level of resources, I assume, and you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to understand like, what's it like to be a product led person as a founder versus business, technical, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it can make life a little bit more difficult because I think when you're in product, like you do a lot of sales, right? So like I used to go into rooms with customers and like 
understand their needs and position things uh, where we needed to. Like if we weren't going to do that feature, like we had to. So you come with like a lot of the skills. I think what you don't come in with is a lot of the background on just the psychology of how people buy. You know, that I think that is like the I think that was the most difficult thing for me, you know, figuring out that there is a very specific sequence of events. I don't know if you guys have read uh, Demand Side Selling, but there's like a very specific journey that a person needs to go from where they are today, where they're making progress and nothing's really changing to like, oh, I have a problem to being aware of that to, okay, now I want to do something about it. Um, to being convinced that they, you know, that they're willing to overcome the friction to actually make that change. And I think when you come in as a founder, you're like, oh, what you're doing is clearly inefficient. <laughs> that's, you know, that, that, that's clearly um, not right. And you just assume that that person is going to know it right away. And you don't really like the, the, A, you don't know that there's this journey, but B, you have to identify where this person is in this journey. You know, when I start sales calls, the first question that I ask and that I, I'm teaching our AMs right now, most important question in sales is that you can only ask once in the sales cycle and never again and get a really, truly honest answer. Why did you take the meeting? Single most powerful yeah. question, right? So, um, you know, I mean, it was it was really, really challenging. And I think I was really fortunate to work with some really terrific sales mentors to help me develop some of these skills. Interestingly, in the second chapter of our, of our company, I've spent most of my time unlearning those skills <laughs> um, because I think that, you know, there, there's, you can for sure do a lot to get somebody from A to B, right? There's a lot of like, people call them techniques. Like, I don't think of them as techniques, but there's different, there's different methodologies you can apply and do that. And so like at the time I was like, okay, I can do this and this is great and I can close deals. And so I'm gonna get people to train them to do how some of these things. Most people can't do a lot of those things. And so like a lot of what we've been doing today is actually saying, you know, how do we change our buying journey, our customer journey to not require those things. And I think that's what you're seeing in the market. A lot of these things, product leg growth, like whatever you wanna call it. But uh, I think like I've gone through two chapters. One is like figuring out how do I close six figure, seven figure type deals and you know how do I manage people in a room how do I get them like all aligned how do I do that and today I'm just like why would you even want to do that <laughs> that sounds really hard and painful and honestly it's just like kind of complicated for them too so that answer your question yeah it's so long story short it's complicated it's hard I, I don't recommend product founders <laughs> being sales leaders I think there's like a lot of better places that you could focus but that I just, just want the record to show that a product founder just said I don't recommend product founders replacing sales leaders I, I feel I feel validated right here for the existence yeah. of a sales leader. So I appreciate I appreciate that sentence. Right where, there. Where, where do you guys see? I mean, for me, it was like I fell into that trap through ignorance. Like, do you guys see this actually being a debate? Uh, yes. A small debate, believe it or not. Yes. Although I think it's a bigger. So it's different to where I, there's a difference between a technical founder and a product led founder. But a technical founder is always thinking about the product. Right. Whereas Errol, I'm assuming you're not the person who's actually building it. Whereas a technical founder kind of builds it, right? It's their, you know, that, that it's their code. So, so I see some similarities there because we do see this um, with, with the, with the. I just, I just think, 
I think it's so important that you went through this journey and experienced it. And I don't think, you know, I don't know if you felt this way before, but I think a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is. And it's and hard when they've never it's done so it before. Hard. But I think a lot of people don't understand that it's so hard and they don't place a ton of value on it. And so they don't place a ton of value on that particular person that would be doing it. So I think it's a very admirable that you went through all that and experienced all that kind of thing. And so I was just having a little bit of fun uh, with, with you to me saying sales leaders have some value. So I thank you. I thank you for that. I want to ask you a question about the, the kind of no key data entry world. There's a lot of products and companies right now, I think, trying to hit upon this and, and solving the problem around CRM in particular, mostly because that's like the biggest pain point, I, I assume. But there's a lot of other areas that could do with no key data entry or no key like actions. So are there, where does it go next past the CRM? So I think the, the obvious place that it goes to, um, I, I think the obvious end goal, just like, you know, autopilot and this and that, like first you're, I think of it as like, you're flying the plane, right? And this thing is like not better than you. Then you get warning indicators and lights that are sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Then the plane starts sort of flying itself um, and, or, or it starts advising you and you take the advice seriously. Like you almost like doubt yourself when you're not listening to the computer. Um, and then eventually the, the plane flies itself. I don't think we're going to get to plane drives itself um, in sales just because, you know, I, I just think like the whole point of sales is to help somebody understand something pretty complex and hard, right? So it's like, I am trying to make a change, but I don't know how. It's almost like a fitness trainer or a Sherpa or a consultant. It's somebody who's like taking you in a certain context and trying to figure out how to get you from A to B, where B may not even be buying my product, but B is just changing what you're doing. Um, and I think like, I, I don't think like by definition, if that's the case, you probably are a free sign up product anyway. But I do think that, that where it ends up is that you're getting actionable recommendations that are going to help you miss stuff. And let me give you an example. So one of the features of our product or one of the functions of our product is we transcribe, right? We transcribe and we turn that data into something that somebody can do something with. You know, I, I consider myself fairly skilled in sales and I, I went into a call and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty typical. Like we don't compete with Gong, like we don't go head to head with them, but very frequently that's kind of like one of the positioning elements, right? Because they kind of said we transcribe things, et cetera. I went into a call with a customer where um, I thought that that call went really, really bad. I think we spent 28 minutes talking about Gong, <laughs> like two minutes, like introducing ourselves. And I didn't really go back and follow up with that customer for two weeks. Cause like we have other deals and I'm busy and I'm like, that's really not going anywhere. Yeah. And then two weeks later, I've kind of forgotten. And I'm like, you know, I'm so lazy. I don't go and listen to the recording. I was like, let me just go check out the notes that this thing wrote. And one of the things that the software captured was like, this is the customer's challenge. Like it just said at the top, this is the customer's challenge. In bold face letters. Boom. Like, well, yeah. So like I, I go and read that and I'm like, 
Okay, so we just talked about this other software for 28 minutes. They still have a problem. <laughs> and I just like in that moment, right, was just like missing the point because maybe it was the fourth call that I had that day. Maybe I was just like really annoyed um, at something. Maybe, or maybe I was just having an off day. But, you know, we're human. And I think that today the mechanics of call recording is it allows somebody to get an objective view into what happened who wasn't you in that situation, right? And if you're really insight introspective, you can do that yourself, but more often than not, that's like where the coaching element comes in. And that's an example where like the computer didn't make a judgment. It didn't tell me what I should do. It just told me what happened in, in just completely bionic mechanical terms. And that right there, I mean, changed my behavior, right? So I think that that's kind of like what the mechanics is going to be like way before it gets to automation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I experience this with our software every day. I, I, that, that's where I think we're headed is that um, just like Pandora has been able to say, this is classical, this is rock, this is punk, this is, you know, Samba, just as there's like patterns and signals inside of music, there's patterns and in, in signals inside of engagement between people. And so that's where we spend a lot of our time. So I think 90% of the job is just showing people what's happening and then they can do a really good job right from there, I think. Um, so I, I think that's kind of like where things are headed is AI guided selling. Yeah, got it. You know, it's interesting, Scott, I, I'm sitting here listening. I know Errol says he doesn't want to be a, doesn't recommend being a product-led founder, at least for someone like Errol, like he, and, and what he's building, it truly, it's cool because he's bringing this fresh perspective of having to have learned how to sell and build it into the product, right? Versus you and I, where we'd be like, oh, just go do this, 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 right? And yeah. um, I think that's really interesting, Um so when Scott's ready for a new job, you can hire him. <laughs> I, I just, I just want no key everything. I want to, I want to just have something that hears in his brain. I want something that hears contract terms and populates the contract field and sends out the contract for me. Yeah, I want, I want us to say, okay, hey, uh, Tuesday at four is is when we're going to talk next, and bang, the software just grabbed it and sent a calendar invite out, and I didn't have to enter any information. I want Richard to, to say to me, Scott, go send so-and-so an invoice. And I want the invoice to just go out without me having to do the admin yeah. work. Is that too much to ask, Richard? I don't know. Ask the, other, ask the guy who's figuring it out. Is that yeah. too much so, to ask, Carol? So I think, so here's where that, that can become problematic, right? Um, what I think is really interesting, so like Richard, you were just talking about like a product-led founder and like what's the skill set coming into sales, et cetera, et cetera. So most of what product management is about, I think, is finding the white space, the gap between what people are saying and what they're doing, right? When there's, when there's a disconnect there, there's usually an opportunity, like something is wrong and you can keep pulling on that thread and get to a root cause, have an aha moment, and then get to a solution that drives some, some sort of change. I think that is very similar to sales, you know, like where somebody's like, Hey, I'm here for this problem. And then you have a conversation and then you find this other root cause and you find out that this other department's having this other problem and you get to some, some place. I think that there's a lot of congruency between, uh, between the roles. And I don't know if you guys have read demand side, uh, demand side selling. It's a really interesting book. Um, have you guys read that book? I have not. Which book? Have you heard? 
demand, right, demand side, side selling. No. selling. Have you guys um, heard of the jobs to be done framework from Clayton Christensen? No. See, we're not geeky like Making this, me though. feel very un, uh, uneducated right now. Right. So I, like, who are just we? Search, if you search on YouTube, it's a four minute video where um, the, the, the guy who came up with the theory talks about how uh, we buy products to do jobs for us. Um, so it's almost like when you're buying a product, you could, in theory, like imagine that you're buying, you're hiring a person to solve the problem for you, right? It's not too different than, than hiring a product. So rather than focusing on, focusing on features, you try to get to the root cause of like, what mm -hmm. is the job that somebody's trying to accomplish? And there's a really famous uh, case study where they do this with McDonald's. They're trying to figure out how to sell more milkshakes. And they're focusing on like, all right, is it the flavor? Is it the texture? Is it this? Is it that? And they can't sell more milkshakes. And what they and what they figure out is that um, if you go and talk to people and really like do this interrogation that product people have and that salespeople actually turns out have um, the, the the natural ability to do, what you find is like they're just trying to figure out how to get to work in a one hour commute in a car and have their breakfast. And it turns out that like you know donuts are fattening and they crumble all over you. Um, and, you know, like egg McMuffin, like that doesn't work very well. So-and-so doesn't fit in your cup holder. And it's this perfect package. Um, it just turns out that the milkshake is this like, unique, amazing thing for that. And so they go spend marketing dollars and say the perfect breakfast. And all of a sudden milkshake sales go through the roof. Um, and so what's interesting is the same guy who transformed product management wrote a book on how the exact same questioning methodology, et cetera, applies to sales. I, I really recommend it. It's really interesting. But um, you know, for all the problems with being a pro like I said, I, I don't think it's like if I could go back, I would not have gone through this journey myself. Um, but they do, they do sort of like work really closely together. Those two things is it, it really is a very similar thought pattern that I, I didn't really think about until I read that book. You keep, you keep saying, you know, you wouldn't do this, but I keep thinking like, but this is why you're going to be good at it. Like, this is why you're a good founder. Like you can delegate the sales and the revenue model out because you know, you don't want to deal with it. Right. Whereas other micromanaging leaders are like, no, 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 I can be an expert at everything. You know? But, 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 you know, like you could, I, I could do that too today. Like I could, you know, I, I think that's where delegation comes in is, is, is recognizing like, Hey, here are the gaps and here's how the different functions fit together and collaborate. And this is how you identify. I think like the mistake everybody makes is, you know, you raise 500K, million, 3 million. Somebody's like, you need sales. Like, it's just, oh, they're salespeople. You know, it's like they're zebras and giraffes and lions. And like, you know, we're making a zoo and you need to go get a giraffe. Otherwise it's not a zoo. And you get a salesperson and it's just like, we, we segment salespeople usually as like, do you have SMB experience? Do you have closing experience? Do you have this? How many years? It's like, it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> it has entirely something to do with like, where are you in your journey as a company and helping other people figure out their journey? You know, I can see I, some of the most successful sales leaders I've found or, or different leaders I've spoken with marketing, like they come from engineering backgrounds in the really early stages. Cause it, it's really a problem of figuring out causality like if I could go back, I think that's what I would do different is I would say, hey, we're an early stage company. We need somebody with systems thinking. That's what we need. Um, who, can, who can step into the sales role and help us figure out some of these things. So 90% of our failure just comes from like, we just, we just need sales. 
and 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 you're not really focused on what is the thing that you're hiring the sale like going back to jobs to be done like what are you hiring these people to do i mean some of the stuff at the early stage is just impossible you know it's it's so hard when did um, you when did you hire your first sales leader how far into this journey Both too early and too late. Um, too early in the sense that I think one of the problems with having amazing closing ability is it can distort a lot of things, right? Because like you get these customers and it's like, are they the right customers? If they're the right customer for the product today, but the wrong ones for the vision and the roadmap, horrible things are going to happen. You're like, you know, I mean, and you can keep that going when you're at five customers, 10 customers, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100. It, you get to the point where you're like, I can't prioritize you. And that's like a horrible place to be where, you know, you have first tier customer, second tier customer introduces pain, introduces like, it just, it's just not where you want to be. So in that sense, I think, I think too early. On the other hand, I think too late in the sense that you know, one of the biggest problems you have in the early stage is, and I think I've heard Peter Reinhardt talk about this, like you can change too much. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, you over, you over tinker. You over tinker. And the thing is like, the, the problem is not tinkering. The problem is you're in a very data poor environment. And so rather than thinking about how do I go create data? Like this is one of those places where like, you know, I, I think we have a customer maturity model when we're talking to customers to figure out where they are. And it's like in the early stages, mass blasting is the best possible. It's the dominant strategy, right? Like if we get a person with a team, sales team of 10 people coming in here talking about sales efficiency, we're like, no, there's not enough data to become efficient, you know? Um, and so this, you know, that's like another thing around like, I think another problem with like just sales and how we think about sales is, you know, we eliminated commissions here because I still don't think we're, I still don't think we're at the, we're at the spot where like even today, right? Like a uh, couple hundred customers, millions of revenue, like we're still not at the spot. I think where it's like, Hey, I need you to sit in the seat and do this and do this and do that. Like we need people who, where the goal is to make the company and the customer successful and like, we don't want to create these situations where it's like, I have to choose between my employee's success and closing this deal with this bad customer and making sure he or she can get a paycheck. We need, we, we need to focus on this because yeah, like Scott was like, first of all, first of all, you just kind of threw it out there. You eliminated commissions over there. That's a fairly radical idea still. And definitely radical, I think, with as many customers as, as you all have. So Talk to us more about, you know, making that initial decision, how you feel like that's playing out, pitfalls and gains from it. Because I think that I think that a lot of people are thinking and asking those kinds of questions now at a larger mass scale for the first time. Um, and you are uniquely positioned being a very early adopter, very early adopter of a no well, commission sales well, team. Well, maybe I'll just tell you like how I ended up here. Um, and that is and that is like this constant struggle between, okay, like we're kind of early stage and I'm paying you on commission, 
And this customer may or may not be right. But like, if I reject this customer, I'm taking it out of your livelihood. Right? Yep. Or I make an exception, at which point now we have a system with exceptions, which opens the door to like dozens of other things. And so I just don't see how that um, is, is a healthy place to be. And I think there's a really awesome LinkedIn piece by the VP of sales at monday.com where you know he, they eliminated it there. I, I found this after we made the decision, but like he kind of talks about the exact same thing. It's like, you cannot be pro-customer, Like you can't optimize towards two things. You can't, like you can try, but it'll, it, it's just endless trade-offs, situational this, situational that. Okay, Ta- tactical tactical question. So I'm going to throw out figures. So salesperson typically gets paid, let's say, a $100,000 base salary and a $200,000 OTE. So they can yeah. make an extra hundred grand in variable comp. This is a normal kind of structure. Yeah. Let's say I want to go to a no commission kind of structure. What do I pay people? You like In that case, I would say, right, Somewhere probably between one hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand dollars, probably. Okay, so you're paying fifty to hundred percent of variable to kind of compensate for that. Yeah, because 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 the thing is like, why not? If they don't hit their number, we know what happens. If they do hit their number, we know what happens. So, like, what difference does it make? <laughs> like, I think you people really- would, well. I think people would argue that the difference is like you're paying people a lot of money initially before you know if they're kind of any good and it's not super contingent on on how well they do so the initial kind of spend is scary because it's higher that would be one argument true but i think so what happens when you have somebody who's commissioned and they don't hit their number. There's this like weird pip phase that lasts like a few months. And like, there's this weird sense that it's okay for that person to fail because like they didn't get their commission and they're being punished. And like, you're not like, this is a, so like you, so maybe people hang on to bad performers longer because we're like, well, I'm not paying your commission. Yeah. Like from my perspective, I'm like, I want somebody who's worth 150, $200,000 who can deliver value. That's what I want. Like the weird thing about the the commission is like, it almost gives them, it's like, it's forget the company. It's like almost more friendly to that person because it it allows them to fail and their cost is actually not bad. The cost of the company is like not having somebody awesome sitting in that seat performing. That's the cost of the company, right? The opportunity cost is so much bigger that like, I would rather have a really simple conversation with somebody. This is the job. This is the money you make. Like, what is that person going to say? Hey, pay me less so I can stick around longer. <laughs> so how, just out of curiosity, um, how long do you feel like you're 10 years longer for your sales reps from what you hear in the industry? Do you think it's harder for them to get poached? What are, cause those again are some of the other things that come up. Well, you know, around this topic. Yeah. So the flip side of this is like, I definitely noticed that there is less of a sense of urgency and hunger out of the gate. Right. Like, so our ramp is, is our ramp is a bit slower for sure. Like no question. Cause like, there's this kind of like, well, I'm warming up. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's, but I don't think that that's different than any, anything like we have engineers. And right. so like, one of the things we do is like when an engineer starts, we're like, 
here are the kind of red flag milestones. We, we say that before we hire them. We're like, this is kind of your onboarding plan. These are the things that we're expecting to see just so that we're on the same page. Like it would be really weird if you were here four weeks and hadn't pushed code. Like, do you agree? That'd be a little bit weird. Um, so I think that the same mechanism to create that urgency uh, put, you know, framing the role in the team, in the context of the team, like, hey, you know, like as the sales team, this is our mandate, right? And the other teams are looking at us and counting on us to contribute to the big picture in this way. That gets people moving. They take that really seriously if you hire really good people. So again, I just don't see having done this, right? I, I'm not looking at this from like a hipster way of like, oh, I don't believe in commissions. It's like, we did everything multiple times, went through multiple reps. And, and we, you always end up at the exact same place, which is you're either making exceptions or you're delaying the difficult conversation because it's like, it's cheaper for you. And they're kind of being punished and you don't like, they're kicking themselves. Like, you know, that they're trying and they're like, it's just so complicated. Why does would feel, you just, does it feel easier or harder to recruit new salespeople? So, I mean, it's way easier, but I don't think that's a good thing <laughs> because, you know, people are looking at it and saying like, oh, this is a different culture. So that makes you stand out. But a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I, this is going to be easier. Cush. There are a lot of people are thinking this is going to be cush. I can just hang out and hide out here. And this is great. Maybe. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So like that was our biggest problem when we, when we first made this change and posted it, it's like, there's just so many people yeah. applying and, you know, they're citing the sales culture. They're applying for the wrong reasons. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they're applying for the wrong, like, I, I, I think it's attracting more, like it's creating a filtering problem for us. Right. I'm sure yeah. that like, I'm sure that, or now it's funny, we're talking, like, I'm wondering, I wonder whether if I had not put that there, the same people would have applied and I could have just told them, by the way, it's not a commission role. Now that we're talking, I think that's probably what I'll do. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah, yeah, like there was just, there was just such an emphasis on like, yeah, my org is this and like, da, da, da. And it makes so much sense, which is, which is fine. You know, like, I mean, I do think that there's a lot of cultural value. We value our sales reps, um, you know, and, and we're more account management heavy now. So we don't, we're really about make it easy to start and then easy to grow. So we're like not top, we're not like top of the funnel, mid funnel heavy. Do you feel like you can, so there are two thoughts. So one, do you have to weed through more people to get to good ones? Because you are trying to find the people who are, you know, trying to weed out the cush, right? Feel like we're talking about weeds, Scott. Um, so if weed were salespeople, Scott, that's a topic of our next vlog. Um, so, uh, or do you find it harder and or do you find it harder to recruit the top people because there are they are making 100k with a 100k bonus plus something else. So they're like, well, I don't, I'm actually going to make less. Like, how do you, again, these are the things I know people are thinking about. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, we don't have enough data to like, I, I couldn't say, right. We're not an org with like 30 sales reps with 10 new ones coming in every month. And um, so like, I, I just don't have the data on it. What I have a lot more data on is like I said, what happens when you commission people? Um, like what, what are, what are the things that 
and, and by the way, it's not just in our company. I, I think like one of the interesting things is like we sell to sales organizations, right? Yeah. I, I, I like you kind of brought up something early on, um, which was spot on where you were like, yeah, activities, like what the hell does it even mean? <laughs> like what, you know, you're logging activities, like what, what does it mean? Like, how do I get meaning from it? And one of the ways that we saw like certain types, like let's just say certain types of organizations, like I, I'd say it's much more rare today, but early on it was like, it was a firing tool. It's like, like I'm going to use these things to prove that you're not actually doing your job. That's evidence. It's, it's, I got it's you evi- evidence. It's evident. It, ex- exactly. Like meaningless evidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, evidence, evidence that has no meaning, but it's I, like, let's call it a rational rationalization tool. Yeah. So if you um, so if you say oh, I want one hundred fifty thousand to two hundred thousand dollar performing kind of rep, does the rationale apply to executive leadership as well? Are you then saying, well, I want a five hundred thousand dollar VP of sales, so my VP of sales is not going to have commission either? I mean, I, I right, and I and by the way, I do believe in bonuses, so we do have bonuses. The point is like to actually like anchor the salary at a point where that person's livelihood is not an issue here, right? Okay, so, and, so, I, so, so I'm being recruited by you to be the CRO or VP of sales or whatever. So anchor my, anchor my, my salary. How do, you, how do you design Scott's pay in this kind of no commission world? I mean- Scott, you have a lot more experience than me. I got it. Like, I don't even, I don't even know how to begin to answer that question. So here's a question. All right. So like, let's well, reverse this, right? Like where, where like, like, let's just, just, just role play it out. Right. So it's like, yeah. you're going to like, I say, Hey Scott, like, uh, we're going to, let's what 500. Right. Sure. Um, right. Uh, and so in a no commission scenario, like, let's just say, look, we're not doing commission 350 K is the base and these are the incentives. And if these sort of things go right, it'll be 500, but those incentives are gonna be like not meeting goal, like exceeding goal. So it's like, you have a lower, you have a higher downside, upside requires more to go there. I don't know, like, let's just say I pitched you on that, not knowing anything else, what do you say? I would say that doesn't sound too dissimilar from the normal way things are done right now. Normal, the normal way would be, hey, Scott, we're gonna pay you a, $350,000 base salary, and you're going to have $300,000 worth of variable. And the variable is dependent upon you hitting these particular goals and miles. You know so why it's sounds, different? sounds similular. But you know why it's different? It's because Tell me. I, I'm assuming at 250000 the livelihood question is off the table. Like, I'm just assuming that at 250 most places in America, I, again, I'm not saying all, right? Some people have like lavish lifestyles. They live in Walnut Creek, like best place. Moraga specifically, I think you meant Moraga or or, or, or whatever, right? Um, He's talking about you, Richard. You live in in Chicago now. Give me a break. I've I've left the Bay Area. I don't remember. Um, (laughs) But but I think I think with reps, it's different because there's this like livelihood piece to it. Well, there's certainly the case of like you know somebody who's making a seventy-five thousand dollar salary is in this day and age, like in a different place living in New somebody, York city, than somebody who's making 250, 300. So it's yeah. sort of a basic needs met kind of conversation. But the counter argument would be, listen, dude, my basic needs are massive because I'm not 25 years old and single. 
I got three kids, a massive mortgage, da 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 right? And the lifestyle, like 250K to me is like barely paying all of my bills. So the variable matters. So oh. th- th- that discussion would be, is interesting and probably part of why people haven't gone towards this commission only kind of strategy. Because if it, if it followed the same lines as the AE role play that we did, I would say to you, well, right now, you know, I have 250 base, 250 variables, so I'm 500. So you probably need to pay me like 450 guaranteed to kind of even things out. And I think a lot of people would be like, holy shit, I'm paying somebody 450K, like no matter what, right from the start, regardless of if they hit their number. One more consideration. Let me ask you this. If I'm going to pay you 450 guaranteed, how much more seriously am I going to interview you and, and qualify you? And how much more seriously are you going to feel on the hook to deliver? I would imagine that you would interview me 50% harder at the very least. Which and is not a work, bad thing, right? No, no, I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing. The on the hook part is interesting. I'm not sure that it, it, it hooks me like as much as something else. I think the people that it hooks are a different type of person. Like, I don't want to be guaranteed at 450. Because I feel you, like I just got a ceiling you, put on you, me now. Right, right. Right? But I, but I maybe have a different mindset than somebody else who is like, this is amazing. I, I get 450 no matter what. There is no way I'm going to miss a number or fail here because I never want to leave this job ever again. Like, I'm very aligned to this philosophically. And that person is the person you'd probably be optimizing for. So it might work out. Go ahead, Richard. No, I was just going to say, this is, this is Scott's dream conversation, right? Like I almost feel like we're going to cut the first half of the podcast and just focus on this. Um, we won't, but, um, but, but it's, it's, a really we could do a whole, we could do a whole webinar on this That's commission, commission should, only thing. We should, so, we should so totally like, do that. So here's one thing to frame this and here, here would be my answer, right? Because again, like Scott, Richard, you know, way more about this part. Like you guys know, we're, we're series A, we're in a totally different spot, right. Than than some of these, these conversations. And I, and I think, you know, just probabilities of success and like how repeatable things are, that all changes the conversation. Here's like, now that I've heard you talk, like, I actually feel like, oh, there's actually, I, I used to think this is totally stupid. Now I'm like, okay, there's a lot of good reasons for it. Here's, here would be my tiebreaker suggestion. I'd be, you know, if we were talking about this internally, how are we going to compensate Scott? How do we want to structure it? I'd say, what's going to be best for the customer? And maybe that's just the anchoring question all the time. Yeah. I also think too, you know, particularly where you're at, you're not, I mean, you would, you would certainly want a Scott Lee or a Richard Harris, but maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want the young and hungry, right? You want the director person who's going to get their VP of sales title and go, oh my God, you're kidding me. And they are going to get hooked to do this, right? One of the things you did say is how much harder am I going to interview you? I agree that you're going to interview harder. I think my whole other part of this discussion is if you move to this kind of model, right now I, I see CEOs, like I don't care what company they're at, they're terrible at interview. They don't know how to interview salespeople. They're terrible at it. So yes, I agree you should interview Scott Harder, but 
better know how to actually have a good interview. <laughs> but, but also like, but I think of it as due diligence, right? Like right. you go and find, you're an investor, that's what it is. Like I'm, I'm making an investment in Scott. So like what do investors do? They go find somebody and say, can you talk to this guy for me? Oh, totally and, agree. You know? Totally, totally. It's like, it's willing to go out of the way. And I think I, and I think like, that's part of, again, I just want to go back to like this idea of we're saving money by like, it's like, we're down. That's the part that I think we can agree in all circumstances is wrong. Like by capping my downside, I feel like failure is more acceptable as evidenced by failure is allowed to continue longer. Uh, you know, it's like we're at like Scott is interviewing at two places and we really want to get him, but we didn't finish the interview, but our downside is capped. Like, I think all of those incentives are wrong. Like, I think, I think that that split, that, yeah. that the perception of like lower downside does bring bad decision-making somewhere, Yeah. either before the hire or after the hire. And I think that that was always my biggest problem is I was, you know, I, I and, and I think Netflix does this, like we practice this too. Like we'd rather have the conversation with you, performance conversation earlier, give you a severance that's yeah. really freaking good. Yeah. Then let it drag on. And then at the end be like, we have no money left. Like I just gave you all this money. Yeah. We don't have any more money. What the, so this is a, this is a, a fascinating topic. And I commend you for being an early adopter and on the forefront of it and trying to kind of you know, figure it all out. I, I see more and more conversations about this and this could easily become, you know, a bigger, badder oh, webinar kind of, kind of conversation. So we might try to try to push that a little bit. How can we uh, be helpful to you? We've got a, we've got a wrap here. We want to thank Scratchpad and Sendoso and Outreach. Um, but we want to give you a chance to uh, ask us a question before we get out of here. Yeah. Well, why don't we go back to your ideal dream scenario? Remember, do you remember? We were like, I'm just talking, this thing's firing up, this thing's happening. Da, 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 da. Uh, Richard, what's your, is that your dream scenario too? Is that what everybody wants? Or do you have a different view on that? I was taking notes. What was the dream scenario, Scott? Well, he's, he's talking about the dream scenario of like, when to, when to show up, when to when to build, right? When to grow, when to come into the the role, when to implement this kind of commission process, right? No, remember you were like, hey, con you know, I talked to somebody, the contract fills itself out, it automatically. Oh, says, you're talking about from the product standpoint. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I was just like, when, Richard, when you were hearing that dream, was that where you like, what was your? I was just curious. I didn't ask you at the time because we, yeah, we switched, but um, like, were you like, that's my dream too, or were you like, hmm? I kind of think differently. So, whatever Scott says my dream is, is my dream. Um, <laughs> but here's what, here's what I really mean by that, is that I'm terrible at delegation, right? So, for example, I have this note-taking email that I use for podcasts, or more specifically for customers. And I've tried some of the other note-taking tools, and they're never the way I want it. Right. And so I'm too micromanaging of my own process. So when Scott brings these things up, you know, Scott taught me a long time ago about delegation, right? If you delegate something, expect it to come back flawed, right? But the amount of time it saved you by not having to do the first part matters. So, like when you said earlier that it saved 73% of the time, I immediately clicked into Scott mode and said, oh, wow, that's exactly what Scott's been talking about of like, okay, so yeah, I got to go clean it up. 
right? Like that's no big deal. But I'm 73% of the way already. Right, exactly. And so that's the part. So yes, I would like that dream state. My challenge around that is Richardism, not anything else, right? Because I think I'm smarter than the man, than the computer, you know, that kind of stupid shit that I have. So, so that's, that's what I think of it. Yes, I would love it. I think it would be great. I think it's a Richard great needs one that takes the action for him. Yes. So, so uh, Richard just needs a shock in, in his chair that Scott could just like, you know, shock. They got a buzzer. And, yeah. You know, they got buzzer. Doctor, you need a Dr. Evil buzzer. Right. Yeah. I, I got it. I, I gotta say, I'm like a little bit surprised that you guys both had that, you know, that wish and that, that vision. Cause um, I don't know. I think it's pretty progressive. I think a lot, there's a lot of distrust when some of these like utopian scenarios come up. So you guys, yeah. you guys must be like the early adopters. Of- I also think too, that, you know, Scott and I are dumb enough to know that, you know, PandaDoc or Adobe, you can have templates and it could probably do a whole lot more than we figured out for us. And we just haven't taken the time to teach ourselves. Right. So I see this all the time, but um, that's cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have the, um, I don't have the need to control certain things that I know that I'm not any good at. Yes. And I so I'm not good at note taking. So yes, I want to speak words and I want all of that to end up in the CRM. I'm not good at admin. So holy shit, I can no key contracts and invoices and calendar invites. This is fucking amazing to me, right? It like get rid of the things that I already suck at and hate. I'm not the type of person that's like, ooh, I need to get better at those things. Fuck that. I'm the type of person that's like, I don't ever want to do those things again. I don't want to get better at doing dishes and laundry. I want to never have to do them again. That's what I want. Yeah. I don't hold on to that and be like, oh, I have to control this like... Part of you the know process. What, Scott, no. I think you're I think you're a product guy. Like we were talking about the overlap <laughs> between product skills because because I think it's oh, no. like oh no, I'm gonna I, I, I think you might but be a product a, guy. A product mindset. He's not a product builder. He's gonna tell you what the product should do. And then and this is the beautiful thing about Scott. Scott's like, great, come back to me in 30 days. Well, he has the ability, but he's smart enough, like unlike me, to do the other yeah. one. He's just like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stay in my lane. Uh, so yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I hate to do this, but I gotta end yep. this. I gotta jump into a, a training session, but Errol, this has been awesome, man. Like this has been a really good conversation. We are going to get in touch with you about doing this as a live conversation and get, you know, yeah. get a lot of people to show up and yell at us and tell us how stupid we are. Cause those are always yeah. fun. So. I, I learned a lot from you guys. Thanks for inviting me. This was like really fun. So that was a lot of fun. Thanks, Errol. Thanks, Thanks Errol. Errol.